Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey and joining me are co-host Mel. Mel, there are times when we have such a good interview that we have to extend it into a two-parter and that is the case in our interview with Rachel and Simon Henry. I agree. I am so thankful that they were able to stay and share more details so that yeah. we could have two parts to this. I needed more. One episode just wasn't enough for me. Yeah. Well, what, you know, the listener doesn't know is that we usually stack up interviews, you know, two or three at a time on a particular day. We had one cancel on us. So providentially, although we were disappointed about the canceling, the cancellation or the the postponement of that interview. We'll definitely get that one picked up. It was really providential that God allowed us some space to sit in this interview mm-hmm. because it was such a heavy interview. And if you listen to the first part, um, you know that this is this was a heavy thing. And, um, and, and if you haven't listened to the first part, definitely go back and listen to the first part of the interview before you listen to this one. Pause what you're doing, listen to that first part. But also know this, that as you're listening to that, you're going to want to listen to it um, without the company of, of kids. Um, this, is, this is a heavy interview where we talk about some topics that may not be age appropriate for your young ones. Um, and also, if, if you have walked through some trial that involves some kind of uh, sexual abuse or um, uh, anything of that nature, you're going to want to be forewarned a little bit that this may bring up some things. It could be really heavy for you, but I also mm-hmm. think this could be very healing for you if you allow it and you lean into it in the right space here. I um, agree. Yeah, especially in the second part, I feel like Rachel gives some good resources that really provided a lot of healing and growth for her. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think one of my favorite parts of the last episode um well, I was reading Matthew 6 this morning and how um, Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to wear or, you mm. know, today has enough worries of its own. Um, and one thing that I, when I look at Rachel and Simon's story, I, and when I look at your story, I just can't imagine being in that position and what yeah. uh, was going through her mind. And um, I just, when she shares about how calm and steady mm. she was through all of it, um, and it just reminded me of that verse today that God gives us sufficient grace in the moment. And um, yep. and she was able to walk through that. And so anyway, I'm really looking forward to the second part of this interview, just to hear um, what God has continued to do in their life and what they're doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's going to be such a good interview. Yeah, it really is. And before we jump in, let me just uh, put this reminder out to everybody. We talked about this last intro um, before the the last interview, the first part of this interview with, with Rachel and Simon, but um, I need to give an update on Amanda's jury trial. We've just recently received word that her trial is being postponed to February of 2020. And so uh, the reason I give you this update is one, so that you can continue to pray for our family as we are looking forward into the future and um, uh, preparing our hearts to step into that, but also because in this interview, in the next several interviews, we have made reference to the trial being in September. So I just want to make sure everybody stays 
up to speed on that, up to date on that. We're going to continue to update you as we go along um, because we covet your prayers. We really, I mean, you know, Mel, I learned the power. We're desperate for your prayers. That's exactly (laughs) right. I learned the power of prayer when everything happened at first. I felt like that we were being undergirded by the prayers of people all over the country. And so we definitely want your prayers during that season. When we step into that week, particularly, it's going to be a very difficult week emotionally for our family. But we also want your prayers in between then. We're we're trying to discern a lot about where God is taking this ministry, what He wants us to do. He's opening up lots of doors of opportunity. Our teams mm-hmm. just sat around and talked about all the different things that God is opening up. We're so excited about those, but we want to make sure we say yes to the right thing. And so yeah. you guys praying for us and being in partnership with that is huge to help us to, to discern what's the right thing for Nothing Is Wasted Ministries to do next. Yeah, So please, please pray. I am so excited about the future of Nothing Is Wasted, though. <laughs> There's so many great things on the horizon. Um, yeah. And before we jump into the episode, one thing that we really love is just to re- read your reviews. And yeah. we'd love to hear, um, what do you like about this episode? How's right. it, how's God been using it in your life? And, um, even rate us, you know, we'll, we'll, we want five stars, but if you want to give us four, we'll be okay with that too. No, you um, can't give us four. You have to give us, no, I'm okay, just kidding. Give us five. <laughs> give us five. Um, you rate us yeah. as authentically as you want to rate us. But we won't read it unless it's five. Just- yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but you have no idea how much encouragement it has brought us. And yeah. um, it just been a bomb to our soul to read those stories. Um, and um, through tears, just been so joyful mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. this ministry has been um, making a difference in your life. So yeah. um, please um, rate and review us. And um, I am so excited to hear the remainder of this episode. So um, here is Rachel and Simon's part two. We're back here with Simon and Rachel Henry for the part two of our interview. And um, guys, part one was just absolutely incredible. But I want to I want to kind of start here and go back to something you said in part one um, about some of the immediate aftermath of this incident and how you guys already said you didn't want to go back to live at your house, but immediately you had a family take you in, and it happened to be the the exact right family. Mm-hmm. I mean, such a providential thing mm-hmm. of of God to, to bring this family into your lives, to have them bring you into their home. And I'm sure that was impactful. You alluded to it earlier. Talk to me a little bit about why that, what, what happened in that, in that season? Mm -hmm. Why was that so impactful to have obviously this guy with massive credentials to be able to (laughs) walk you through this, but can you, can you walk me through a little bit of what, what happened in that season? Yeah, um, we were actually already good friends with them. They had walked us through some some other things. His wife was actually one of my main professors in college, so I'd already okay. uh, we already had a relationship with them. Um, so I had an, an interior design major, so just I appreciate yeah. you know, like beautiful spaces. And so her house was beautiful because oh. she was an interior designer. So just being in a beautiful space, first of all, was was healing. That's kind and of a, you know I think we take that for granted. That's I think that's kind of important it in is. the healing process. Yeah, is the the aesthetics of your surrounding. That's very true. Because it puts our kind of, <laughs> I don't know why, I don't know the science behind it, but it feels like it eliminates clutter, eliminates uh-huh. things. Like uh, it helps you to really zero in on what you need to be there for. That's really and true. focus in on what exactly. And so I, you see some of these retreat places, they're just beautiful mm-hmm. retreat right. centers. And you're like, is there a reason behind this, a purpose behind it? 
And so anyways. Yeah, there must be something yeah. to it. Um, you know, so I'm in this beautiful place, she made this awesome granola and like, I wasn't very hungry, <laughs> but she brought me that granola and I was like, this is so good. This is all I yeah. want to eat. And she made more, um, you know, she, she came and she was just like, do you want me to rub your shoulders, mm. whatever. And all I wanted to do was lay there and they're just like, close your eyes. But if I close my eyes, I just saw terrible things. Mm. So, um, so they were just, they were good at knowing to give me space and they were like, we're watching the kids. They were interacting with our families who were there. Um, so I really took the weight off of me having yeah. to still be mom and right. still be daughter and just to be able to be that's and be really quiet. Huge. If people are looking for what can I do mm-hmm. for a family that's hurting, suffering, whatever it is, take some of the responsibility yeah. and weight mm-hmm. off for of sure. them. Because that's huge mm-hmm. to allow you again to really focus in on the healing aspect of things. Yeah. Mm. And then specifically uh, for Dr. Puffer, he he knew that there was decisions we had to make. Some mm. of those logistical things that just have to be talked about, like, are you going to stay in this house? Mm. Are you going to keep your car? Because they had actually used our car in the middle of oh, the break-in. Wow. They like went for a joy ride. We're like, do we want to keep the car? Wow. Um, do we even want to stay in this town or do we want to move yeah. away? Um, and yeah, what about it's counseling? A small town. I mean, yeah, it, it is. Absolutely. Um, so he actually kind of facilitated our family meeting with both sets of parents and us and mm-hmm. our pastor was there and just it's kind huge. of talking through some of those things that have to be talked about. And it was, I mean, we, we didn't know what we were doing yeah. and we're emotionally spent. So having his direction in that was great. And wow. um, we gift. decided oh we gosh. wanted to stay in Marion. I don't know if he would have, Simon, no. you probably would have left. I mean, I, I told her like, I've gotten jobs, different places before. If I need to get a new job, if I need to commute again, like, and Rachel's, line was there are way more people here that I love and three that I hate mm-hmm. like I think or something you may know, you probably yeah, use the word say hate the word or hate. three that I <laughs> well, that three time, that I probably felt that. at that time I think sure. maybe that's the one time in your life you said you hated someone wow. but like and because again the way that she is she had some really close relationship mm-hmm. and that that's what and she I needed. knew how important that would be yeah. healing. Right. Like, I'm not going to leave my support group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we decided to stay in Marion. Obviously, then I think it was either that same night or whatever that someone offered us the house. Mm. And so we were like, okay, we'll look for a house. Um, I think those were the main things we decided. Counseling, we knew we'd move forward with that. Um, and then we were offered, I believe one of our pastors offered us a lake house in Michigan for a week. Mm. They, it was just open. So they said, you guys can go up there and stay. And then we went back to Simon's family for a week and saw them. Again, yeah. it was people wanted to see us, to know right. that we were okay and hug right. us. So yeah, that was really important. I remember important. saying to my mom, like, this might sound weird, but can you plan a cookout and invite? Because Rachel has family in that, in that area too, instead of us traveling and seeing everybody. Mm. And it was like, we've seen already for people to see her and mm. to see us is really good for them. Yep. And so my mom did that and we were able to connect with a bunch of people that way. Yeah. So. And then uh, following that, we went back to Marion and another family had uh, a, a guest house at their pool that was open and they said, we can come stay there with the kids. Wow. And again, the beauty, it was yep. like the most beautiful little spot in Marion, a beautiful oh. pool. I mean, probably like the prettiest place in Marion. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, do you want me to tell about Gabe and Jesse? I mean, I was going to, but if you want to, you go ahead. <laughs> Uh, the caretakers at that facility, yeah. at that home, you know, there's a lot of property. So they took care of it there. And once a year, their their son and daughter-in-law would come and visit. And they happened to get there the same day as us. Wow. And that might mean nothing until Except. their story. She had actually gone through an identical situation oh my about gosh. eight to 10 years previously. And 
she happened to get there the same day. Wow. And it was the first, I mean, it only had been, you know, three or four weeks, but it was my first time getting to talk to someone that had Mm -hmm. gone through that and feeling that connection with her and seeing how she's grown and healed years later. Um, And then it was interesting because they were actually, they had never caught her perpetrator. And Mm -hmm. so they were just getting ready to, uh, they had found him and they were just getting ready to go through that process. So hers did look different in the end, but uh, I mean, they just got it, you know, they had been through it. You can. You see, that was a huge thing because, and I'm sure you experienced this too. So many people like, a few would try to connect their situations, which were bad, yeah. but it just wasn't the same. Like, right. like no one's experienced this. It was really tough. Yeah. And again, it was like a few weeks later, but these people, as soon as they found out, we were told like, they really want to talk to you. And we didn't know why. And Gabe and Jesse, and, they're just, and we've spent maybe three different times over a meal, but I feel very close to them. Yep, yep. And they live out, out west and he was well, in the Air Force and stuff. So it was obviously wow. a God thing they were there that week. Mm-hmm. A year later during the trial... It was the same week that they were visiting. Oh my and gosh. she, like, people asked, like, when I was getting, um, when I was up on the stand getting interviewed, and you know, people were like, Do you want us to be there for you? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, No, I don't, don't want my parents. I don't want Simon really? in there, whatever. Wow. But I wanted Jesse. Wow. And she was able to sit there and just seeing her face out there and knowing that, that she got it. Man. She knew mm-hmm. what it was like. Wow. Um, so let, just let me, God let worked me, that let out. Let me hit pause right here because I think this is so important for our listener to understand. Again, I'm going to reference back what I said mm-hmm. that God, doesn't always, he doesn't always intervene to prevent, but he always intervenes to produce. Yeah. But oftentimes when we're in our trial, we fail to look for those moments that God is showing up and saying, hey, here I am, here mm-hmm. I am, pay attention here. Uh, we fail to see, I call it the thumbprints of, mm-hmm. of God's hand through the whole process. These are instances where God is showing up and going, hey, I'm here in this healing process. Yes. I'm in this, I'm in this. And I just want to encourage the listener just be aware of those things. Yeah, for sure. Because God is bringing things into your life. It says that He leads us beside still waters, Psalm 23 says. And so He's going to take your hand and He's going to lead you through this healing process. He's going to bring people into your life. Mm-hmm. He's going to bring uh, instances, providential circumstances, all these, this podcast, all mm-hmm. other ministries that are going to intersect your life. And it's His way of saying, I care about you. I'm here. I want you to know that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just, I think we miss that so many times. Mm-hmm. People ask the question, God, where were you? Mm-hmm. Or that ma- makes them angry at God because mm-hmm. it does, seems like he doesn't care. And God shows up over and over saying, I care about your situation. Your pain matters to me. Yeah. So sorry, I just wanted to interject because I think mm-hmm. that's that's so important. And for other people to realize that once you've walked through this, God's going to use you as a person that he's, <laughs> he's putting in someone else's path yeah. strategically yeah. to go, oh, this might be even... The reason why, mm. or the meaning behind, I don't know if there's ever a reason necessarily right. <laughs> why, but there's meaning behind it, right? It's yeah. like a God's using this now and, and catap- you know, catapulting me into a situation where I can partner with Him in the redemption process mm-hmm. of this by ministering to somebody else in mm-hmm. this. And so, um, yeah, just wherever you are and whatever side of the coin you're at, mm-hmm. recognize that you are a part of and can be a part of God's redemptive plan in all of this. Yes. Absolutely. Mm. That's good. Can you talk to us a little bit about your the therapy process afterwards? Yes, for sure. Um, Because I think that's super important. I'm sure that you guys walked through quite a journey in that. Yeah. Um, We had some friends who, uh, a a dear lady who had lost her husband in a traumatic way. And because of their connection with the college, she had really good resources. And she had gone through therapy called EMDR, which Mm -hmm. stands for 
<laughs> eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, and I don't think it's a, it's not a new kind of therapy. Mm -hmm. It's just slowly been gaining in its reputation yep. and seeing the real results that it can bring. But it's it a, was, uh, it was, it was specifically developed to prevent PTSD right. after Vietnam from the research that I've read. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so she had gone to this and had such amazing results. Mm. And when she knew what had happened to me, she said, you need to go. I'm going to take you to your first session and pay. Wow. So it was like, okay, I'll do this. And and of course, therapy was something that I would have acknowledged mm -hmm. I needed. But in if she hadn't gone to those steps to physically take me, I probably yeah. would have either put it off or um, been like, oh, it might be too expensive. I just might not have realized how important it could be. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that was amazing. And I know, again, a lot yeah. of people don't have that. They yeah. don't have someone to show up and mm -hmm. do that for them. Um, so at, anyway, oh. at that point, if I remember, you had already met with that one therapist, which was more it was a, a counselor, traditional and, therapy yeah, that you see right. it, and you were just like, I don't know if this is good or what I need. And then mm. that's when Karen came into the picture. Yeah, we we obviously had a lot of people around us that we could talk to. Yeah, so I didn't feel like talking about it was a problem, which I was getting into more traditional therapy, and so you're just talking about it. Right. Um, so this therapy. Uh, just to get the science of it a little bit. Basically, every memory moment that you have when you sleep at night, you're in, in the EMDR or the, um, what is the sleep that you go through? The REM. REM, REM sleep cycle. Yes. Uh, thank you. So when you're doing, when you have that sleep cycle, it takes all your memories from the day mm -hmm. and it files them in a way that makes sense to your brain. Right. Um, and when you go through a trauma event, basically that trauma, your brain goes and tries to file it and there's nothing in your brain like that before. Yep. And so this event kind of just floats around in your brain and then you smell something or see something yeah. and that memory has never been filed. Yeah. And so your body responds as if it's happening again, which is the whole PTSD exactly. thing. Um, so this therapy, what it does, it you you think about or you, um, you work through some of those memories while simulating the REM cycle of sleep mm. and it basically creates a new file. So wow. that information is stored properly. So I still remember everything. It's not like some weird hypnosis. Right. We're taking away memories. It's still there and I still have those memories, but I can think about them without feeling like it's happening. Hmm. And um, so because I was able to go so quickly after, it was a four to six uh, sessions that I yeah. went through. And each time, you know, obviously told her the story and then working through the parts of it that really got me hung up mm. or that, that kept coming to my mind or something that I would see that would really just kind of make me freeze. Yep. Um, and, and making those new files, do, do some right. research on it. If you want to know yep. how it, yep. how it goes down, it's, it sounds kind of crazy, but it's very scientific and yeah. it's amazing how God has made the brain yeah. And that they've been able to figure mm -hmm. that out yep. to to help our minds process. Right. Um, so yeah, I went went those four to six times, um, four times like pretty quickly over the first three months, and then two more times like over the mm -hmm. the course of the year. Um, the last time that I went was almost a year later, and that was when one of the perpetrators was going through trial. Mm. And we had a full juried court trial for a week. And so obviously that brought up some mm -hmm. more things and going through yeah. the details. So that was the last time that I went. And I'm just amazed at the healing that I think that that therapy mm. brought. Mm -hmm. um, just to give like a short example, I think it was before I even went to one therapy session. We were near a pool. Simon and I were like out at night. This is and dumb Simon story here. So. Him trying to be a funny husband. Are there a lot of those, Simon? Uh, yeah. okay. <laughs> he, I was like standing near the pool 
And he told me to go look down into the water off the diving board. Mm. And then when I'm out there, he runs out there and grabs me like he's going to throw me oh, in. Man. And just the fear that came yeah. over me. I mean, yeah. like totally freaked out. And he thankfully did not throw yeah, me in. He I, realized. The, the point was, yeah, just, I mean, it, I, obviously this never happens in our lives. It's a fun husband wife thing. Right. But I'm like, this is the weeks following. Yep. Yeah, this is just stupid. Yep. Wow. To do um, that. Well, you, you forget. Like, you, yeah, you know, know, there's like, moments where you're like, wait a minute, I can't believe yeah, I, I want to joke around with her yeah. and have fun, but, mm-hmm. but anything, and she screamed like I've never heard her scream. Like, it was, I was like, oh, this is a serious scream. Yeah. Like, wow. oh, immediately, I'm like, oh, that was dumb. I'm sorry. Yeah. Anything wow. that induced fear like that, yeah. I couldn't handle. Right. Um, so I, I know for sure that therapy has helped with that. Um, I used to have a real problem um, seeing, seeing like men's hands. Um, especially if they met the description of those yeah. men and just not being able to like take my mind away from that, mm. just like fixating on their hands, you know? Um, and that's not there anymore. Wow. And obviously time has passed now too. Mm-hmm. So like five right. years out now, I'm able to see also how time heals. Yeah. But that therapy, having it that soon was amazing. And the yeah. thing is, it, I know that it can be effective whether it's immediate or mm-hmm. years later. Mm-hmm. So it's not yeah. something that's only for yeah. Yeah, immediate we've, following. We've highly recommended that. And again, like she went to this one therapy she's, and Rachel's always like, but what if all the other ones that are trained at EMDR aren't as good, which we don't know. Yeah. But like there was a guy that worked at the university I was at and um, basically a year into marriage revealed to his his wife like he had been sexually sexually abused as a child and all these things that greatly impacting mm-hmm. him. And um, it's a really nice guy. And so after talking to him about those things, like I recommended this therapist and it, we basically, you know, we paid it for whatever you want to call it. We did the thing Rachel said, like we said, we really recommend her. That's where Rachel went. We're going to take you. Mm. Um, actually, we didn't take him, but we paid for his first session. And he was at, uh, like a month or two later, he's like, I'm actually seeing three therapists right now. And mm. that's by far like been the most helpful wow. to go through some of those things. And five years later, he has now got his graduate degree in counseling and actually just got that certification wow. because it was so it was impactful so bad, yeah. for him. And so... Um, it's just been really neat. And we've several people uh, through the years now, we've recommended that to yeah. when we hear their stories. Well, so. EMDR is gaining a lot of traction right now. And I think there are a lot of um, maybe, especially in conservative Christian circles that would shy away from it mm-hmm. or they would be, because like what you said, is this like some kind mm-hmm. of, like, is this some kind of witchcraft or new age mm-hmm. thing or what's going on? And I, and I think it's really important to note the fact that just like surgery right. from a surgeon uh, it's a common grace that God has allowed us to discover mm-hmm. how the body works and and we can now heal through surgery. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of thing. This is not an this is not necessarily anatomy from the conventional term, you know, sense of the word. It's psychology. Mm-hmm. It's the healing of the brain mm-hmm. and it's common grace. And so God has has uh, allowed human beings to be able to have this kind of insight. And I think it's only dangerous when we begin to credit that to somebody else mm-hmm. or to something else other than God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you go, "Wow, God, cuz science should always make us go Wow, that's how you do it, God. Right, right. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Can I talk more about the brain? Yes, please do it. <laughs> so um, also two months after our break-in, I had the chance to go with uh, Trinity Wesleyan to their yeah. women's retreat. I was invited to go along and... Um, Don Cola was speaking, yeah. Mike's mm-hmm. mom, and she's a psychologist. I don't know her credentials, but she basically had this uh, whole thing of the study of the brain and about the, the chemicals that 
are in our brain, like the right. chemical wash, DHEA and cortisol and um, how when you're thinking negative thoughts and mm. self-pity and I can't believe this happened to me, all the bad things, it keeps the negative chemical, I can't remember which is which, if it's mm. DHEA or cortisol, but it keeps that negative um, chemical wash in your brain. And when that's actually there, it is almost physically impossible for you to heal. Hmm. Um, so as long as, as you're having that mindset, wow. there's, you really can't expect healing, yeah. right? Because some people think, why, why have I not gotten better? And, and maybe it has a lot to do with your thoughts. You know, the verse that says, take every cap- thought right. captive. And, um, and so she said, there's the, obviously the good chemical yeah. wash. And the way that they have uh, proven that it really changes is gratitude. And so she's like, if you are feeling in that mindset, you just, you can't get yourself happy in the Lord. You know, you just like negative on the day. She's like, make a list of five things, say them out loud, tell someone else, whatever. And that process of thinking about it and Mm. writing it and saying it physically changes the chemicals in your brain. That's amazing. And, um, and that can bring healing. And so Wow, it's it. It was amazing to me. The and you already even mentioned Philippians mm-hmm. four, six, and seven. You know, don't worry about anything, right. but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. That's right. Present your requests to God. It's like God knew that Thanksgiving <laughs> yeah. is what physically changes our minds, and now that science is is digging into that yeah. and seeing like that can actually alter the chemicals right. in your brain. Uh, it's amazing. Well, and it's then like, Paul follows it up with Philippians 4, 8. He says, and what's finally, brothers, yeah. <laughs> whatever is true, whatever is noble, mm-hmm. whatever is... And he makes all these things that are excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. Yeah. So we're not to think about... This is not... And this is where we have to... You know, We were talking about this earlier before we were on air. The idea that uh, pop psychology or secular psychology, they say a lot of these things. Mm but they don't have God's word undergirding it. They don't mm-hmm. understand where it all comes from. God's truth is God's truth. Mm-hmm. And so you have some people who are like, the power of positive thinking. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's not that because the power is in the Holy Spirit, mm. but there is power in positive thinking, mm-hmm. especially right, right. with having the mindset of a of resurrection mindset mm-hmm. of going, no, I, if we focus on whatever we focus on, whatever we put our eyes on, that's what we're going to find. Mm-hmm. And that's because Jesus has raised from the dead and he has empowered us through the Holy Spirit to also raise up from our circumstances yeah. by focusing on not the storm, but focusing on our Savior. Yeah. So, it, and the, the element of that that I think maybe it's, it's hard to acknowledge when you're the victim is that it is a choice. Mm. Like you do, it does take a choice to what you're going to dwell on, what you're going to think. Wow. Um, and I, I have been in those moments before where I've, started either replaying things in my mind or whatever. And I have to stop myself and say, no, like I'm not going to choose to think on that um, because I know that Satan just wants to keep me Mm. there in that fear. Um, So it's, but also asking God's spirit to help you with that choice, right? Like we can't do it on our own, but yet we still have to. That's so good. We still have to be willing to make the right choice. Wow. So this sentencing process, you mentioned that the only person you wanted there was, was, what was her name? Jesse. Jesse. Um, can you talk to me a little bit more about you? You mentioned earlier this was an emo- a very emotional thing for it you. Was. And again, you you're not you don't strike me as someone who's super emotional. <laughs> Simon does. He seems like a very emotive type person. Yeah. But um, I can imagine that it's emotional for you. Can you can you unpack that a little bit more for me? Yeah. Um, going. I mean, it had been a year, and so obviously it had good therapy, but still you kind of 
you forget certain things, mm. right? And um, it had to, it, just in the preparation process of a trial, you know, you have to go back, you have to read everything that you said the mm. first day. Some things I read that and I was like, really? Like, did that really happen yeah. that way? You know, you just yeah. forget or you block it out. I totally understand. I remember You're, we were <laughs> about to, to go that. into a trial process. Mm. We, they postponed the trial, but yeah. the week before it was supposed to happen, they brought me in and had me read everything. Mm-hmm. So they had me just look over my original testimonies, yeah. uh, the 911 call, all that stuff. Right. That was just, that was unbelievably horrific to go through again. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, have you been but through I EMDR? I, I haven't yet. And so that's, that is one thing we'll have to talk about. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, possibly doing that. I haven't, I haven't seen, I've done so many other things I mm. feel like, but I, I feel like maybe the trial season I might end up needing to, mm-hmm. to, to explore that. Yeah, yeah. But the um, what I was going to say is that I didn't recognize it. I was like, I didn't, I don't remember saying that yeah. stuff at all. It's like it totally blocked yeah, and out. And some so, of the details, yeah. whatever, um, you know, it's very vivid, the things that you have to tell. Yeah. Um, so going back, you have to read through all that. It's, it's just emotionally draining, kind of reliving it all. But um, then the, during the trial, I'm not allowed to be in there. So I'm mm. just, my family was there. And so they're able to come and kind of give me snippets of what's being said. And I was able to be there though for the closing arguments. Mm. And um, so I was, I took the stand one day and just all the questions they're asking, it's extremely exposing, Mm -hmm. talking about medical reports and all those things that I would never want to talk about for a a group of people. Oh gosh. Um, But having to go through that and with all the time, there's the guy sitting there and, Mm. and he's hearing it all too and just wondering, I wonder what he's thinking about hearing all this and, you know, where are they at in this? in this whole thing, but, um, it was, it was interesting to see them face to face because I, up to that point, Mm. I didn't know really what they looked like or who they were and having to look them in the eyes or just, you know, getting to see them, uh, in daylight, you know? Mm. And, um, so it's, it brings, it brings closure Mm. a little bit, uh, but it's a little scary going into just the nerves of going into that moment. So in a, in a trial like that and with, a rape victim, the defense attorney has very few options to try to make his Mm -hmm. case. So basically his entire argument tried to turn the case around on me where I was a willing participant and that I, I basically was a, you know, willing and wanted them to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, So during the closing arguments, I sat and I listened to him tear apart my character Mm. and, and just, Mm all the things, all the little loopholes he tried to look for of gosh. things that I maybe didn't do that made it seem like I was inviting them. Oh my gosh. And that I, you know, didn't fight back, you know, and all these things. I have never been more angry in my life than oh I was in gosh, that moment. Imagine, and, yeah. uh, and there was nothing I could do to sit there and listen to him. And, and obviously none of it was true, but then this right. fear started creeping up, again, creeping up in me, like, what if the jury believes him? Oh my gosh. What if, what if they think that what he's saying is true and I... I really did invite them in or whatever. And uh, obviously they saw they saw the truth through mm. the entire trial. They saw everything in the light um, and what really happened, but it definitely created fear in me. Wow. And I went home and just cried. I was so angry. I could not stop thinking about him. And it's almost like, like the anger maybe I should have felt towards yeah. those three guys I had for him. Mm. Um, you know, they made their choice or right. whatever, but I almost put him in there with them, you yeah. know, because he's defending what they did. I can absolutely understand that. Yeah. Wow. And uh, it was... Then a, talk ugh. a little wow. bit about then when the prosecutor got to go at the end. 
You can because <laughs> I don't know. You're feeling like, it right the, now. What were your emotions after wow. gym? So basically, the prosecutor. I don't know what you're getting at. So I want you to say. No, I, after the then, so the defense attorney was able to go first closing argument, and then um, Jim Lutru, who was the prosecutor, went and he just. I mean, he tore his argument down, and I'll never forget Rachel saying she's like she's like never in my life have I wanted to hug another man. Yeah, wow. so much because Jim just. Again, a great man of God that really, mm. but from a justice standpoint, mm. just said like, like th- this is what happened. And um, I'll never forget, he said, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing wow. about the the defense attorney, which in hindsight, I almost felt bad for um, the perpetrator, the defendant in that, because he was the only one that his family paid for this defense mm. attorney. And... Um, and he still got, I mean, right. the full brunt of the law on that right. and everything. And so the other ones had public defenders and everything. But Man. I remember Rachel saying, like, Jim did it. He did an amazing job. And he was my hero that yeah, day. Of <laughs> protecting, protecting her character in that instance. And so we're very thankful for Man. him for that. Well, I think that just all of a sudden I got, I got this almost a visual, like a very metaphorical mm. visual of Satan the accuser. Mm-hmm. And how much he, you know, points his finger at us in in both our sin that we have volitionally committed and things that we feel shameful about that, you know, in situations like this that we're a victim of and yet you still feel that shame. You feel still that accusational finger of Satan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I have to imagine that any gal who has gone through something like this or, or man who's gone through yeah. some mm-hmm. kind of you know, um, sexual assault, molestation, there's going to be a lot of shame involved in this and there's going to be the accusational finger of the enemy. And yet what's so powerful about the cross and Jesus and his blood is that right there is like this prosecutor gets up and completely deconstructs the argument of the enemy. Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and and builds a, a better case of the cross. And um and sets us free in that stuff. Yeah. And so, beautiful picture. You should write a book about that because <laughs> that right there is a picture of the gospel. Mm-hmm. What you got to experience. And, yeah. And I mean, through the whole process, our appreciation for law enforcement. Yeah. I mean, you kind of imagine police. You know, you think of they're just getting tickets, mm-hmm. whatever. But in our case, they're also there for the victim. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, the things that they have to see if. You know, if I'm just one case out of the thousands that they do, they see yep. terrible things yep. and they're doing the nitty gritty right. and getting samples of people's yeah. bodily fluids. I mean, just this terrible stuff that we don't think about police being involved in. Mm-hmm. And I just have such an appreciation for the work that mm-hmm. they do. And, and you felt like th- it was personal to them. They didn't treat you like a number. They were yeah. mm-hmm. they were very, very much so. caring in the process. They were very mm-hmm. attuned to it. I think that's not necessarily the 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 message that gets communicated to us oftentimes. Yeah. It's true. Now, if I'm getting pulled over for a ticket, I'm going to feel That's a little true. <laughs> <laughs> then it really Which is, is personal. Is, wait, yeah. has that happened yet? <laughs> no, like, it hasn't. Yeah. Well, I mean, I felt the same way. I, I went to um, do my elimination prints. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I walked in there with several of my um, good close friends. My dad was there. My father-in-law, Amanda's dad was there. We walked in and every single police officer who was up there in that office stood up mm. and just honored us. I mean, wow. just it was the most pastoral thing I had experienced up to that point. Wow. 
was these these guys and then shaking our hand and just mm-hmm. telling us how sorry they were yeah. that we chills. walked through this. Yeah. And it was a, uh, it was like, you don't you don't recognize. I mean, there there are folks who are in our commu- com- service in our community who are being pastors and that's mm-hmm. so whether they realize it or not. Yeah, D- Detective Robin was like very. I mean, keeping us updated in those types of things, but just very concerning. Mm-hmm. He'd been on the force for twenty plus years at least, and just a great guy and taking care of us through the process. And then a guy that we had gone to college with who was um, in the Marion police at the time. And this was at the trial. He was talking to me. He just said like over and over again, he hears, he's heard at the station, like, I don't see how these people are able to go through it mm-hmm. like this. And he's like, I just want to scream. It's only because of Jesus. That's right. The only reason. That's right. And he's like, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. But we were able to do that. And Hopefully that spoke to someone mm. on that police force that maybe had never seen Jesus lived out that way. Yeah, that's so good. And so Wow, that's so good. What a testimony. Cool experience. Just taking a quick break from our conversation to let you know about our monthly live Q&A that my wife Christy and I do on the last Wednesday of every month from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. This live Q&A is exclusively for our monthly Nothing is Wasted partners, where we answer questions and chat about life, loss, love, leadership, parenting, and anything else you're curious about. You can access this live Q&A and all the past ones we've done by going to nothingiswasted.com slash partners and signing up to be a $20 a month partner. This partner tier gives you access to all content in our $5 and $10 a month tiers as well, which includes bonus episodes, episode commentaries, monthly teaching videos, and more. So if you want to have a chat with Christy and I this month, go to nothingiswasted.com slash partners to get signed up now. Let's jump back into the interview. I want to go back because you were living with this doctor for a little while and then you had to make the decision to um, whether to leave your home or not. Ultimately, you decided to leave that home. What went into that decision-making process and and what was the... Now, I know at, at some point you shared that you like, the house was given to you, so that was yeah. definitely part of... But was there anything as you're wrestling through that that caused you know fear to go back into that home or anxiety going back into that home or how did that look? Um. We went back the same day. We knew that we'd be gone for a while. We decided yeah. right away, there's no reason for us to come back and sleep here. Mm. Um, so since we had the place to stay, we went back that day and gathered duffel bags with all the kids' clothes and at that point just left. Um, I don't I don't think there was anything in us that really wanted to go back there, but it was just kind of like we weren't making that decision yet. And within three days, someone offered to buy us a house. So it was never... Oh, so it was a... Yeah. It was quick. And there was never like, oh, should we go back or not? Gotcha. Um, So that happened. And I did, uh, like I think I mentioned it earlier, but we were gone then for several weeks Mm -hmm. and we had chosen a house. And while we were gone, a crew of people packed all of our things, put them in a moving truck, moved them. Man. That was humbling because someone moving your stuff, you know, you're like, oh, you're going to see all my junk. It's the best way to move. We found out we moved a bunch of times. You're like, if every, if other people pack everything and move it there, (laughs) it's way better than bringing ourselves. (laughs) You have to pack. Um, So, I mean, that was humbling Mm -hmm. and amazing. Again, the way people came together and did that for us. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. That's just being the church. I mean, that is is being the church right there. And there's people that 
that she had somehow connected. Like one was a, a interior design client that lived like 40 minutes away. And she found out later they came and helped and packed. Mm. And it was like cool so stuff like I that. I did go oh. back. I don't know if it was after, I don't know how long it was. Um, other people had were then renting the house, uh-huh. but we knew them and um, it was a bunch of college guys. So they felt okay living there, you know? Yep. Um, but I was able to go back and we asked if they could just go out for a little while. And I just walked through by myself because I never really got into like Good. Yeah. say goodbye right. or to walk through and, and just have those moments. So um, walking through, it felt different already because right. it was their stuff in there and it was different, but just walking through and um, it wasn't a fearful or anxious thing, but just kind of saying goodbye mm-hmm. to that era. Cause I mean, other than that night living there had been a good memory and right. I wanted to remember those things. Um so I know you mentioned mm-hmm. about going back to your house. Yeah. yeah How was that it. for you? Um, I write about this a lot and nothing is wasted in my book. And so it's funny because I forget that sometimes I like I sometimes forget I haven't really shared any of this stuff because mm-hmm. I feel like it's all written there, but it's yeah. just not been out, it's not, not been released. And so um I didn't go I didn't I didn't see the house until three months afterwards. Mm. And you know, for me it was leaving the hospital and going directly to my grandparents' house. I, um, that was kind of home base that week. Um, we had a lot of the folks who were coming in family that was coming in for, uh, for, for her funeral. We had, um, you know, my, my staff at the church kind of set up shop right there. And, you know, a lot of it, that it was a, the church that, that in South Carolina that sent us, they sent a team up to really kind of help us to buffer us from some of the media stuff. And that became kind of a hub there for a week. And then after, Amanda's funeral, there was some traveling involved, but I was also, I was still living there with my grandparents. And I just, my grandparents are amazing and wonderful. Both of them lost their spouses, um, hmm. kind of at uh, not as early of an age as, as me, but early, early on in life. And then they remarried and, and they're wonderful people, but they were, they would, they were, ha- they were having conversations with me. I was not ready to have yet. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, hey, when you find another wife, and I was like, I'm not, I'm just not ready to have this conversation mm-hmm. right now. And um, so I was like, I just gotta, Wesley and I need to, we need to live somewhere else. We need to move somewhere else. So we moved in with a family in our church for a month, and then you know, found some snowbirds um, that were family connection of ours that had an empty house sitting there until May of 2016 mm-hmm. that we were able to really set up shop there. And I found I was looking for a house, but I knew in that the course of living in that that I needed to go back to my house one to pack up all of the stuff mm. if we were going to move. Um, that is a that was a grieving process mm-hmm. in and of itself. So I contacted her family. I said, "Hey, we need to go pack up all the stuff. I think we should do it together." Mm-hmm. So we wanted to kind of face that together. But I showed up early. Uh, my dad sat out in the driveway. He let me just go into the house by myself for forty five minutes. And um, I walked across the threshold in the same way that I walked across um, when I found her. And uh, but I did this intentionally. Now I put ear- headphones in. I had my headphones in when I first walked across. So that just the full circle of that just really, um, I can see God's hand in all of it. But I put my headphones in, put worship music on, and I put the first song. I put nothing is wasted on. I put that song by Elevation Worship mm. because I also write about in the book that was the song that when I put worship music on next to her, randomly um, popped up first on the Pandora station that I put on while we were in the hospital. Wow. 
which is which is mm. why we've called everything nothing mm-hmm. is wasted. Wow. That's it, it comes from that song and that moment in the hospital where yeah. God was going, Davey, I'm not going to waste this. Um, this was while we we're still waiting on test results to happen. So when I you know fast forward three months, I'm walking into my house. I put that song on first, and um, I walk over to the spot that I found her, and I just laid there and I just wept, and mm-hmm. because it, it's it's a lot like what you were saying. There's there's so many good memories of that house, you know, so many good memories mm-hmm. of that house. Um, that house was dedicated to ministry. That's where we started our church. That living room is where we saw the first people in our church mm-hmm. come to know Christ. Um, it's just an incredible house, but that one incident mm-hmm. had now marked it in my memory, yeah. and I knew that I couldn't let that continue to hold me captive. And so I just ran toward the roar and laid down that spot and cried and wept. Mm-hmm. And I worshiped. I knew mm-hmm. that the only way to drive that out was to worship. Yeah. And um, and then I walked around the house, did the same thing, just prayed in every room and just did not want that memory to hold my memories captive. Mm-hmm. And uh, after about 45 minutes, I was okay. I was yeah. I was good. Um, I was ready for the rest of the family to come back in, pack up the house. Yeah. And so um, that was kind of our, our experience with... Mm-hmm with deciding to move and what that looked like. So, yeah. yeah. It's a process. It was a process. And we, we kind of, I talk about in the book a little bit about unpacking your grief and having to make some conscious decisions about as you move into a new normal and uh, step into kind of the adjustment of life, having to figure out what do you, what do you say goodbye to? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you hang on to as like, you're going to carry into that new normal and um, and that whole process—that's what it felt like to us. It was mm-hmm. like, okay, this we're going to say goodbye to this. We're going to put closure on this, and these are things we're going to carry on. Mm-hmm. You know, Amber, you have this stuff. Mom and Daddy, you have this stuff. You know, friends, you guys have this stuff. I'm going to take this stuff. Mm-hmm. And but it is a it is a process for sure. And I think it's important. I th- what I hear in your stories too is this beautiful balance of leaning into the fact that you stayed in Marianne, the fact that you stayed you know, around some of the spaces that could have mm-hmm. caused a lot of heartache or PTSD, you leaned into those things. You didn't allow those things to have captive, uh, yeah. take take you captive and you reversed the process instead. Yeah. You took dominion over that stuff. And, and it is funny looking back now, like, and I'm sure you've maybe seen this looking back, at certain points you feel mm-hmm. fairly healed and then time passes and you look back and yes. think, I'm more healed now than I actually mm, yes, was. Exactly. And, uh, I think... Marion was kind of that for us because I really drove by our old house almost every day. Mm. It was on a, a main mm-hmm. street that we had to drive by. And I can't, I mean, I could see it without getting fearful, but I would obviously always think right. about what happened, even if it was just a passing thought. Right. And so moving to Florida, um, that was what, three years mm. after what had happened yeah. and being away from that then and not driving by that and realizing I've gone weeks without mm. thinking about it mm-hmm. and just more healing, more closure. Um, yeah. So, so it's, it's an ongoing process yeah. for sure. And as good as we think we're doing today, it might look better even That's right. a year, five years, who knows yeah, what time. 20 years will look like. Right. Yeah, time. He <laughs> time makes is all important. things beautiful in his time. In it's time. so true. Yeah. And, and when we, we moved to Florida and we did have those great, people and great support group back in Indiana. And so I had gone through for work, like this leadership development program through Giant Worldwide, Mm. life-changing with, I said, like 
power pouring away from the Holy Spirit. And we got to this point and was like, all right, God, what's next? Like mm. I'm working in higher education. It's not a good fit for my personality and so many other things. And we're praying through it. And this was the first time making a career move where Rachel and I are a hundred percent on the same page and praying about moving or what to do next. And June 10th of 2016 was the final sentencing of the final two guys also our 10-year mm. anniversary, like literally the same day. Oh my day. gosh, wow. And so we spent the tenth, our 10th anniversary in the courtroom, like, I mean, closure. closure. You know, the, the first guy that went through a trial wow. was sentenced, the last two guys that pled guilty, sentencing that day. And it's really, I think, God started to open some doors of joining as a consultant with this company, mm. um, moving to Florida. And people asked, have asked since, like, what's it been like moving, moving down here and what was... And uh, the response of just the family and everything. And like the first six months, honestly, was just, I think it was great healing for yeah. us, but for Rachel, like she got to meet women that had no idea what had happened to her. Wow. And in her daily life, her regular life in Indiana, she, in the back of her head, I think she was always like, are they just thinking about this thing that mm. I went through? And they're so glad they didn't go through it. And she was able to tell people and we were able to tell people in our time. Yeah. And so and she had a really good experience if like a few months in once we got to Florida. If you want to tell about that. <laughs> well, it's different when when you're living with people and they all know what you went through. Yep. And then suddenly you're in a setting and nobody knows. Yeah. And you feel like this is a really important part of who I am today right. and nobody knows. Right. And wondering when is the right time <laughs> to share this. Yeah, I don't just exactly. want to suddenly be like, well, guess what happened to me a couple right. of years ago? Um, and I'd been praying about it and feeling like God was God was prompting mm. me that I needed to be real with these people and share. And um, I, mean, I could usually tell the story pretty mildly and mm. not get emotional. And it had been so long, I guess. Uh, it was at a, a small group setting in a women's Bible study. Mm. And it was the kind of thing I was like, God, if you, if you make a moment, I'll share it. And I was real nervous. Wow. You know how you get yeah, it when absolutely. you're real nervous. And I was like, okay, this is like the perfect segue, whatever verse we were reading. And I was huh. like, okay, if nobody talks, I'll do it. And then it just sat there and it was quiet. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I felt like I needed to share it. Ugly cried through oh. the entire <laughs> thing. I was like, God, really? Like, wow. I thought I was ready to share this. And, and I think I was. Yep, you were. But it was just so emotional yep. because it had been inside for so long then. And... You know, I did well, it, are, and then I was able yeah. to share, and then I would like not cry at all. Wow! With other people, on Rachel one, can't but, ugly cry. By the way, it's not possible. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was possible that day. <laughs> wow! Well, those are sweet moments. I mean, I, I don't. I'm, I'm developing a theory about it, but I don't really have like, concrete theory about this. But in those moments where God allows rushes of emotion to mm -hmm. happen in front of other people, I think oftentimes those are Holy Spirit moments because mm. I think those are forging relationships in transparency and in vulnerability that are extremely, that will, will be extremely strong relationships. Mm -hmm. And when, when you kind of, a lot of people are afraid of entering into that space of crying in front of somebody else yeah. or being vulnerable in front of somebody else. And I think those are powerful moments. I'll have some of those moments when I get up to preach mm -hmm. and, and it's like, I've said this thing, especially like mm -hmm. kind of the canned Psalm 23 uh -huh. message we do around the, you know, around the country. I've said this thing 
a hundred billion times. <laughs> and why in this moment yep. right now did this all of a sudden rush up inside of me? And I feel this and I'm kind of developing this, this almost this like deal with God. It's like, well, if that's what you want to happen right there, if you want that to sit a little bit heavier because of mm-hmm. the emotional response that I'm having, because maybe somebody else here that it draws them in even more than that's okay. Yeah, I think it's important to just... We call it befriend our emotions a little mm-hmm. bit, right? Mm-hmm. If we're not very an emotive person, it's okay it. to cry. It's okay mm-hmm. to be transparent. It's okay <laughs> to cry. It's okay. Like we don't need to shy away from that stuff. Yeah. It's so good. It's so That's good. good. Wow. Guys, this has just been an incredible, incredible couple of conversations. Yeah. <laughs> Glad we got to do it. I mean, oh, I'm by the so... way, we have had two kids since then. Yes. So people did. ask kind of, so Mason, our favorite, was born. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're all our favorite. They're all our favorite. Uh, yeah, right. yeah uh, we know Mason is, no. <laughs> is the one that's three and a half now. So he was, and that was the one that I wanted to have more kids. And I was like, she wasn't sure. I was like, wouldn't it be nice to have a kid that wasn't in the house? Mm-hmm. When I thought happened? that was just silly. Yeah. For you but to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, we, I, but it was great. And then Mariah, the youngest, who's probably our favorite, <laughs> she, uh, <laughs> She was a surprise when we moved to Florida. So. Wow. Well, you guys have six. Mm-hmm. So you got, you're going to have to round it off and go for that perfect number, number seven. No, nope. right? He's my number seven. Oh, <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's great. That's, that's sometimes it feels sometimes. like, probably feels like you have seven kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure it does. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's oh, fun. Man, Simon, Rachel, this has been awesome. Thank Thanks you so much. So much. Yeah, Thanks. Thank Thanks for what you guys are doing too. Mm-hmm. Wow, part two was, man, wow. That you know, Mel, I, I just, I'm just so grateful for the Henrys. Me too. I'm grateful for. I I could not believe the resolve that I was hearing from both of them, but but especially mm-hmm. from Rachel. Like just this even keel resolve, and I want to reiterate. You know, she talked a bit about this um, type of therapy that she did. And um, you could tell that that there was major healing that has happened in her because she was not, I mean, anytime I talk about something that, you know, walking in and finding Amanda, as traumatic as that was, when I talk about that, I still have these, you know, really, it's hard for me to talk about that. Uh, now, mm-hmm. because I've talked about it over and over and over and over, it gets easier. And that's a conventional form of therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, where you just talk it out. And that has really helped me a lot. But this other EMDR that she's talking about, man, I would highly recommend that you seek professionals that know what they're doing with that and can also bring a biblical context to that because I think it helps tremendously when it comes to trauma. And Rachel is a living proof of that. Yeah, Um, I agree. Um, I feel like between that therapy and um, she mentioned a really good book that was really, really helpful. And then I feel like the third component that she said that was super beneficial um, through healing was just their community, that they mm-hmm. had they had people rally around them um, to hug them, pray for them, um, yep. buy a house for them, you know. Yep. Um, but it just made me think about um, the community groups that we offer on yeah. the Nothing is Wasted um in the Nothing Is Wasted ministry that you guys can join up for free mm-hmm. and um, just how beneficial it is to be able to have somebody to externalize what you're feeling and um, 
and walk with other people who've been through the same thing um, you've been through. And so if, yeah. if you're interested in that, go to nothingiswasted.com slash community groups and we can get you connected with other people. Yeah. And our desire is to be a resource hub for you. Whatever we can do to help provide for you ways that you can walk through your valley and heal. And so community groups is a fantastic way. Um, we're going to be continuing to put up more and more blog posts as well. So that is a great way for you to just consume some content from people who have walked through hard times, um, as well as our pain to purpose video course. Mm. Um, nothingiswasted.com slash pain to purpose. That is kind of a step-by-step process for you, a step-by-step plan on how to walk through your valley well. And so um, we want to be able to be here to for you to lean on as much as possible and let us know if we can help you in any way. Hello at nothingiswasted.com. Um, we'd love to help you in any way possible. Yeah, for sure. And if you get a minute this week, um, do us a big old favor and rate and review the podcast. Let us know um, what God has been using in your life and uh, different stories that have been impactful to you. Um, We love, love, love to hear those. And um, we just want to thank Ryan at Sleeping at Last for providing the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Um, I haven't heard anything from Ryan that I don't love, so you should check (laughs) out his work um, at iTunes or really any place that music can be streamed. Yep. And uh, you only have a couple more days left before our next episode that comes out. So Thursday, we've got a great interview. So why don't you listen to this clip from that episode? So I grew up, South is my main context. I grew up in North Carolina from the coast, moved here to South Carolina, and I've only ever known Bible Belt. And I am pro Bible Belt. I am not. <laughs> I'm not bashing Bible Belt. Um, I've learned some deep rooted things about the Lord and about discipline and um, the value of the Bible and mm-hmm. the Bible Belt. But I never really learned desperation mm. because you go every corner. There's a church, right? You know. And I right. had grown up only ever at church. And guess what? I grew up watching people get saved. Yeah. And I had grown up um, with most of my friends being Christians. And I had never been driven to a place where I can remember Davey. Literally, we had like this upper room. Um, of, we, it was our prayer room at Freedom yeah. Church. And our student, I was helping start the student ministry. We had probably like 30 or 40 kids coming. I loved it. It was awesome. It was weird. There are some weird stories I'll tell you after this. <laughs> um, but I remember I was, I, that's where I started preaching, was with this little room yeah. of 30 or 40 kids. Um and I remember going to this, I'm getting emotional right now thinking about it, <laughs> but I went up to that upper room mm. and I hit my face and begged God to move. Mm. 